Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's when you get that directional, correctional, adjusted feedback to say, hey, you know, you may want to not do that so much because it, it comes across like this or it sounds like that. That's when you really learn and that's when the breakthroughs happen. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. As I was saying before, I'm really looking forward to this one because I'm a big fan of what you're doing. And yeah, but I guess before we dive in, let's start with the who you are, what you do and why. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Joe Nichols and uh, I've been in the game industry about 25 years. Uh, right now, running Timber Games uh, out of Vancouver. Uh, Timber Games was a studio that I started with a couple of other partners. Uh, we uh, are just, we're about, we're two years old now. Uh, we're part of Sumo, part of that group, um, and uh, I have kind of like dual duty. I have, you know, my my timber life that I that I am waist deep in timber, but then I also have another side, which is Sumo, which is um, uh, the, the official title is Vice President of North America, which is funny because it makes me sound like you know Kamala Harris of Canada, um, but it's uh, looking after growth in Canada and, and and other locations and 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 growing the sumo family uh, under the timber band uh, across Canada so that's where I'm currently at amazing like pivoting back to obviously you've got a a, a unique way in how you first went into the games industry because you d there's a multitude of pathways and we, we often come in from different angles but yeah I'd be interested just to dive into your journey into the games industry and and like those early years and where you were working before? So uh, prior to game, the world of games, uh, I was in radio. I uh, went to school for journalism and radio and, uh, <clears throat> you know, had really long hair. I was working at a top 40 radio station and thought I've made it. And, uh, and then kind of thought, wow, I'm getting kind of tired of hearing myself. I can only imagine other people listening to me all the time. So I pivoted to the record business. So I was working for a company called Polygram. And Polygram was like a massive company that is now known as Universal. Um, so I was a record guy. So if you've ever seen Spinal Tap, there's the guy that follows the band around. He goes, hi, I'm Marty Fupkin, Polymer Records. That guy, I was that guy for a while. And uh, it was a great job. Um, uh, I, I was on tour with bands all the time and, uh, and handling their press and uh, publicity and marketing and promotion um, in British Columbia. Uh, and that was really fun. But it takes your toll when you're, when you're you know, at a show every single night and getting home at three, four in the morning and then getting up in the morning and uh, doing it all over again. So, um, 
I ended up going to a pub with some friends <clears throat> and the friends brought friend of friend who had nothing to do that night and turned out he, he was uh, an executive producer at Radical Entertainment. And we just hit it off. We started talking and said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, in the record, I'm in the record business. And he's like, wow, that's so cool. And I said, well, what do you do? And he's like, I, work, I make video games. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. We got the talking. He said, you ever think about switching careers? And I'm like, sure let's let's see what you got and so i went in and was being interviewed for a marketing job because i was a marketing guy and halfway through the interview uh the the at the time it was uh the one of the heads of radical rory arms he said to me uh you should be a producer and i'm yeah. like okay what do they do uh and unbelievably they hired me <laughs> so um i went in you know fairly confident because i had put together a marketing plan for a game that they had already made uh just to get my foot in the door and uh uh, joined Radical Entertainment, and it was really hard. It was terrifying. I was really scared, but I was really into it. And uh, the team put me to test. You know, I was like, "Oh, who's this new fancy guy that came from the music biz?" And you know, they're going to see if I could, you know, if I could survive the first couple of weeks. And I did. And uh, uh, and then the, the rest they say, you know, it's history. I've been making games ever since, and uh, surrounded myself with people that are awesome at what I am not awesome at, and that has been my secret. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and we, we both, we both had some time at EA. So yeah, let's walk over your period at EA. Sure. Uh, so I'd been at Radical for a while and I thought I didn't feel like I was learning, uh, what I really wanted to learn. So, uh, I was talking to some friends that had gone over to EA and they used to call EA, uh, they used to call Radical and all these other small companies like Radical University. So you went to school at Radical and then you graduated to the big leagues and you got to go to EA or, or Microsoft or, or something like that. So I got, uh, got, got two job offers at the same time. I got a job offer to be a producer on baseball and a producer on FIFA. And I thought, uh, man, I really, really dig in this FIFA idea. And at the time it was, you know, FIFA was still a big deal, but nowhere near the size it is now. And uh, so they pulled me in and said, which one do you want to take? And I said, I'll take FIFA. And I'm like, great. And so they threw me into things that I was pretty comfortable with. So it was the audio, uh, writing commentary, sound, presentation, that kind of stuff. So I did, uh, I did my, my entry in there. And then after about a year or so, the, uh, one of my bosses came and said to me, he said, hey, do you think you could build your own team? And that's the one thing I always say when people ask me, do you think you could do that? The answer is always yes. And I'll figure it out after I start. You know, like, just say yes. Yeah. And I did that. And uh, formed a team, which was at the time Euro, uh, and then Champions League. And, uh, and that turned into, you know, World Cup and, uh, and more time on FIFA. And so I spent uh, most of my time at EA working on FIFA and other uh, football or soccer related products. Um, did a hockey game uh, with Wayne Gretzky, and that was crazy. And uh, worked on some tennis and a few things in between. And then, <clears throat> so did that for a while. Went to Microsoft for a little while, right around the beginning of Connect. And what was funny is I wanted to try something other than sports. And I got hired at Microsoft uh, to work on this new IP. And then I got to Microsoft and they said, uh, by the way, the new IP is Connect Sports. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> it's like I, I wanted to try something else. But it was a great experience because Connect was, you know, say what you will about Connect. It was groundbreaking. It was really uh, nothing like it. And it was really fun and interesting. Um, I left Microsoft to try my hand at my first startup, which when you go in pretty green, not really understanding what a startup is all about, you find out really fast that it's way harder than it looks. And so um, I did about a year and a half on that. And I'm like, oh my God, this is just not for me. Uh, so went to Capcom, 
did uh, four years at Capcom, <clears throat> started out as a producer, but then ended up becoming the general manager because of like all these moving parts um, of the studio. And then was quite happy at Capcom. And then EA called me and asked me if I might be interested in coming back home, so to speak. And I went uh, back to EA, but I went to California and I was running Maxis as the vice president of Maxis and moved down to California, loved every minute of that. And then COVID hit. <clears throat> and my two daughters had just finished university and they were back in Canada and I didn't want to be in a different country than them. And so I decided it's time to move home. And uh, part of that meant I would have to leave Maxis behind because, you know, if you're going to run Maxis, you got to run Maxis at Maxis. Mm -hmm. So I decided to leave. And I was thinking about starting something new and that's how Timber started. So when it comes to starting a Timber, like, yeah, walk, walk me through those initial conversations and, and how did you go about building out the team that you have today? Yeah. So uh, Jeff Coates was my first call. Jeff Coates is the creative director uh, of Timber. And he and I worked together at Capcom. He was the studio art director. Uh, and Jeff and I have this kind of, we kind of share the same brain. We have the same sense of humor. We just, we're just kind of like very similar. Ironically, Jeff and I worked together for about like a decade at EA and I never met him. <laughs> I never met him once at EA because it was so many people there and he was, at, he was in a different division than me. And uh, anyway, I called Jeff up and I said, hey, I think I might move home. And he's like, okay. And I said, do you want to do a thing? And he goes like, what kind of thing? I said, do you want to start a studio? And he goes, yeah, let's do that. And he was like, he was right into it from the stars. Like, oh, that was easy. And so we started going for coffees and talking about what we thought we should do and what we, what we wanted it to be and what we wanted it to stand for. And then we really needed someone that was really good at production, like running the, the operations of things and, and making sure that we had capacity planning and all the stuff that goes in between to keep Jeff and I in line. And I said, <laughs> hey, you know, what do you think about Zoe? And Jeff goes, oh my God, I'd love to get Zoe. Do you think we can get her? I said, I don't know. I always ask because uh, um, I, I had talked to and, and interviewed a few other people for that role and it just didn't quite feel right. And so uh, I sent Zoe an email and I hit her at a moment of weakness because she said when I, she told me that uh, later I emailed her and she was lying in bed going, oh, I really think I need to start looking to do something else. I've I kind of done what I came to do at Microsoft and I was really thinking it's time for a change. I think I might want to move on to something. And I emailed her literally like right after she said that to her husband and he goes, what are you, what are you waiting for? Just reply back to Joe and say, you're going to do it. And so she replied back and said, let's talk. Cause Zoe doesn't jump into anything without thinking things through. And, uh, so it was really the three of us. And, um, we were at the time, uh, talking with a, a partner in Oregon. It was a small studio called Pipeworks. And Pipeworks has been around for a very long time. And they've been like a work, they're like a work for hire studio that can make just pretty much anything. And I struck up a relationship with Lindsay who runs the studio and, and just we hit it off. And he said, you know, hey, let's work together and start a studio. Um, and we started doing it that way. And initially the plan was for me to do that with Lindsay down in Oregon and uh, start the studio up here. And then Sumo bought his studio. And so Lindsay phoned me up and he goes, Hey, I got some news for you. I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? He goes, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to think I'm going to get acquired. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, what does that mean for us? And he said, well, I think we still want to do this. So let's talk to Sumo. And we did talk to Sumo and they were uh, very excited to, to be partners with us. So we started that. And then ironically, um, I got another call. I got a Slack message like at 1130 on a Sunday night <laughs> from Lindsay. And he said, Hey, you wake. And I'm like, Hmm, this can't be important. 
said, yeah. And he phoned me up and he said, yeah, you're going to, there's some news that's going to hit tomorrow. He said, Tencent is going to acquire Sumo. I'm like, oh, and then I get that the same question again. What does that mean? And uh, it just meant business as usual because we are, we are a Sumo studio. So it was business as usual for us. And, uh, and then we started the ramp up. So there are, we're just the three of us. Um, we actually hired a guy named Campbell. Um, he was our first hire uh, and he was an engineer uh, from a studio called Relic in Vancouver. And uh, we hired him and he was our first employee and he was uh, working with us on coming up with a concept for a game that we were working on with Pipeworks. And then slowly but surely, we started adding more and more people to the studio. And today, um, I think, well, we have two offers that are, that are, that have gone out and I think I'm expecting both of those to be accepted. So I think that uh, Timber will hit about 76 people now. And so it's been great. And we've been uh, building two products. We are building a product that work for hire product from a major publisher in the U S and then we have our own IP that we're working on. And, um, you know, we really, when we decided we wanted to make timber, we, we really wanted it to be, everyone talks about diversity, equity, inclusion. It's kind of a buzzword. Everybody likes to say it and they like to go, Hey, look at all the women we have. And they think that that's just it. Right. And it's so much more than that. And so we really wanted to lean in to make sure that we were a truly diverse studio and looked at that D word from all angles. It's sure it's your gender, but it could be also um, your, your background, where you're from, what you believe in, how you identify and everything in between. And we, we set kind of a goal that we just wanted to make sure that we looked further and longer and harder to make sure that we had a really good diverse team at Timber. And, you know, today, um, if I was to just kind of slice some metrics up, Timber is 54% people that identify as female and about 44% people that identify as male and then some other people that identify as others. Um, and that's just gender. And we have, you know, uh, we, we try to make sure that we have a good diverse group of people in backgrounds and, and what have you. And I think it goes down to our values. Our values have always been strong. We, we really want to lean into diversity and, we, and, and everyone has a voice. And, and, you know, we look for the fun, we find the fun and we challenge each other. And, uh, you know, one of our values is cl- we create clarity. And that's just being really clear with everybody. Good news, bad news, everything between. We don't, you know, we don't kind of hide things. We are very super clear. And I think that whole journey of calling up Jeff and saying, you want to do a thing and getting the right people around us and finding, wow, we do have a diverse mix of people. We have diverse products we're working on. We have good values. We won best place to work in Canada in our first year. Mm-hmm. And thought, wow, this is, we, we got something here. But as you know, there's much more to it than that. Like we can talk about, Hey, look at all the things that we do and pat ourselves on the back, but it comes down to the work. It comes down to the games, comes down to what we provide as a service and value to our customers. And, you know, can't really talk about it yet because we're under NDA and our products have not launched yet. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the journey it's been. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's refreshing that like you're a studio that are casting a wider net because I remember, you know, when I first, went into the games industry. I, I went to EA having worked at, I was like at Nestle, I'd done a bit in civil engineering, I'd done a bit in just consultancy and advisory. And I, I like coined this term a while ago of being a multi-potentialite, but I think hmm. that those kind of different diverse experiences that I had throughout my professional career, it really helped and aided me when I went into the games industry because a lot of the challenges that we saw on a day-to-day basis I'd kind of seen before in 
other industries. But on the other side of it, there is still, and I, um, I'd love to get your take on it from an in- industry perspective, that net isn't always cast so wide. So like when, when I look to, you know, if, if I were hiring people, I, I, I want to understand what their visions are, what, what their motivations are, what's driving them, what their impact is that they want to deliver and, and the specific why as to why they want to work for this studio. Not necessarily I want to work in computer games, but why specifically and, and what it is that you want to create. Like I, I do want to see more within the games industry open up those doors because like talent comes from anywhere. So, yep. yeah. You know, it's it it's extra effort. It requires patience. It requires looking further and longer and harder, which is something that we all decided as a team and a group and management that we were going to do. You know, we've we've run into situations where we've been looking for a role and we want to hire that role, and we have what we think is a fantastic candidate. But then we take a moment back and go, okay, have we actually given? more diverse candidates an opportunity for this role have we have we reached far enough and looked further and you know and sometimes we've had to catch ourselves said you know look wow i think i found the, the perfect person but let's just make sure let's get a few more people in into the interview chain and and just see how do these people stack up and is there an opportunity for us to uh, potentially bring a diverse candidate come into the studio and you know and ironic you know like here's me the old white guy saying that right but um i think that we all have a position to play we all have a role to play in 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 opening the doors and and looking further um we have like i'll give you an example of you know background diversity we have uh, an engineer that works with us and he's been using the unreal engine for years and years and years and he's never once made a game because he's been in the movie industry and he's been using Unreal for pre-visualization in movies. So he knows how to use Unreal in a completely different way. And so he adds a viewpoint to what we do that we didn't have before, like a different way of looking at how we might make something. And we have little examples of that all across the company. And it's really important that we find people that are, you know, that we find people that are experts, but then we find people that are um that we think that there's something there and we're willing to roll the dice and take a chance on uh, to, to help them get to where they need to be. And so we do have a lot of junior and, uh, um, and younger people that are joining us. And uh, as much as we teach them how to make games, they teach us how, how the world works and how, how the gaming world and industry is different now. And so it kind of opens our eyes a bit wider to things that we've been kind of blind to for a while. So it's, it sounds hard. It's not hard. It just requires a little bit more effort to, to yeah. think that way. And, you know, we, we've gotten it right so far. We've made a couple of mistakes along the way, but that's just business. That's just work. That just happens, right? Um, so I think it's really important for anybody in this industry to don't surround yourself with all your friends and don't surround yourself with all the people that, that you're comfortable with. Bring in some people that are going to scare you a little bit. Bring in some people... Um, that actually want your job because it keeps you sharp and keeps them learning and growing. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, I've said it before, but in respect to organizational cultures, a lot of people kind of look at their matrix and look at the fact that, you know, they might have a high staff turnover and, and they ask the question of why, but 
a lot of it comes down to firstly diversity of thought like if you are taking on kind of creative mavericks and multi-potentialites from a multitude of different industries like you can learn a lot if you have that open mind but if you don't have that open mind and you kind of are from a set grain then you know where's mm. the where's the real innovation coming from if 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 the points of view and the thinking is all the same so i think that you know you need that like that those areas to you know, thrive and grow and develop and, and learn from people because that's when you put in those environments, like especially with those steepest of learning curves, that's when you get the most out of your job. And then equally, I, I do think that there's about setting pillars in there. So pillars of trust, transparency, and togetherness. That's also another indicator as to if those are in, mm. if, they're, they're, if they're like foundations of your of your culture, of your value, values and overarching mission, then people tend to stay around because they realize that their voices are heard, their opinions are, are welcomed and, you know, their, their views are, are needed to generate, you know, it be it a, a game that they're working on or, mm. or wider impact as, as a whole. Yeah. I think sometimes people think it's a really smooth ride when you bring in people from all the different backgrounds and different thoughts and whatnot. And it is not a smooth ride because People challenge each other on the ways that you've thought and the way that we, you know, what got you here won't necessarily get you there. Um, plagiarizing a book title. Um, and it's sometimes, and sometimes the, the, the ideas and, and directions come in and they're amazing and they can be game changing. And then sometimes they're like, yeah, that's something we'll consider. And it's a really terrible idea. Um, because we get terrible ideas. I've come up with tons of terrible ideas. Um, and it's, you know, as much as, uh, as, as, you know, certainly Timber and, and other studios, we're not the only studio in the world that is thinking this way, but as much as studios like us, you know, we, we, we go in, we try to get it right and we don't get it right and we get it wrong, you know, we get it wrong, not, you know, a few times too. It's, did you learn from getting it wrong? And what did you take away from getting it wrong? Because if someone tells you, oh my God, you're doing a great job, you're doing a great job 24-7, you start to become great job blind. You don't know, is everything I'm doing a great job? Is everything really great? It's when you get that, directional, correctional, adjusted feedback to say, hey, you know, you may want to not do that so much because it, it comes across like this or it sounds like that. That's when you really learn and that's when the breakthroughs happen. And I mean, this year for me has been incredible because I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing, but the way that I do it might have to adapt now because I've been doing it a certain way and you know, sometimes maybe the way I act, maybe the way I speak, I have to take a minute and think about it. Like, hmm, how's, you know, how's this going to come across to somebody? Um, so I'll give you an example. I was talking with a couple of colleagues and we made the joke about, you know, the Nigerian prince sending you an email saying, oh my gosh, I've got all this money that I need to get out of the country. Can you help me? Right. We thought the legend of that. And there's a whole bunch of people that work at Timber that have never even heard of that story and think that we're, what are you talking about? Who's a Nigerian prince? And it's like, it's like, it's like it's a weird kind of folklore that grew up with a certain people of an age demographic. People today don't even know what the hell you're talking about. So it's like thinking about what you're saying a little bit more before you say it. Um, and there's a hundred examples of that. And some of the stuff that, you know, some of the things you say today may not be okay anymore. Might've been, you may not have given it a second thought back in the day, but today it's different. And that's not being 
hypersensitive or sensitive or, or, you know, woke or whatever you want to call it. It's just called being respectful and being in the moment of what's happening. And that's been the biggest learning for me. How do you think it's changing specifically though? Like not just in the, in the, in the changing of viewpoints, but like the industry as a whole. I think the industry, so the industry as a whole, I think that all the games that have been successful have, they're going to have to adapt and change if, if this entertainment industry is going to continue to move forward. I mean, look at all the stuff that happened in mobile, right? Everybody was just printing money in mobile because of all the ad revenue and all the, all the telemetry that was coming in. You could target ads and everything. And then, of course, people decided, hmm, I'd like a little bit of privacy, please. And they opted out of that collection. And all of a sudden, that revenue is not coming in anymore um, for mobile games. I mean, it's still a successful medium, no question about it. But it's harder to earn that money now. And so mobile industry has had to adapt. They said, well, okay, if I can't count on X amount of people for seeing this many ads and getting my money for the ad revenue, how might I actually make a better product that is more appealing, that encourages people to give me their money to, to continue doing what I do? So it's things like that. Um, subscriptions has changed everything too, right? You know, some games come straight to subscription. You know, we've seen Microsoft with Game Pass now, incredibly successful that has been. And you could argue, a lot of people do, that... Game Pass is equally harmful as it is helpful because, you know, you get someone that's trying to sell their game for $60, $70 and Microsoft comes out and they've got a whole bunch of other opportunities. Is that going to deter me from buying that game? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to wait till something to go on a subscription. In some cases, yes. But then there's always the games that come out that are just must-haves, right? Like Diablo. I had to have, I bought Diablo. I pre-ordered Diablo. I never pre-order anything. Um, I pre-ordered Diablo because I wanted to play it early because I love it. Um, and um, that's not free. So, uh, but there's different business models that change. And I think that there's different expectations on gamers. Uh, uh, sorry, on, on meeting gamers' needs. The days are over where you, you make a game and, you know, you put it out there and hope it does well, right? Because you've seen all these games that come out and they come flying out of the gate and they do really, really well. And then, then they kind of go to that phase and then they just kind of start to dive and they go on sale and... Then they'll just kind of trickle along. They'll be on like nice price opportunities. And so people will continue to purchase them. But the steam is out of the tank and it's just not happening anymore. So it's uh, it's a real trend now to find ways to keep people for longer in the product that we make, whether that's ongoing download, downloadable content or community use generated content, use generated marketplaces, all these things that keep people coming back again and again and again. And I'm finding, I used to like, I play a ton of games, but. I'm finding I don't have enough time to play all the games that I want to. So I have to be selective of where I spend my time. And I'm choosing to spend my time in fewer games for a longer period of time. And mm. I think that's what's starting to happen um, with, 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 uh, with the industry. They, they're trying to keep people in their system. And the only way to do that is just earn their business by creating great content and reasons to come back. We kind of see that as well. Like, I'd love to get your take on what I think is an age of consolidation that we see within the games industry at the moment. Like this entire year has been like a, a suite of emerging acquisitions. And then, you know, we're, we're very close to seeing the likes of Activision and yep. Microsoft go together. And, you know, at the, at the point of time where people are consolidating to retain attention, then how does that impact, in your view, the wider industry, such as like small studios mm. and independent developers. 
I actually think it's the medium guys that get caught. The So there's always going to be the mega blockbuster companies, right? You're going to have EA, Activision, Ubi, and all these companies are going to make these games that cost, you know, $100, $200 million to make. And, you know, they they have to be amazing to earn that revenue back to cover how much it costs to make the game. Um, the little guys are the ones that I think are the ones that are the most exciting and interesting. They're the ones that are taking the chances. They're the ones that have a smaller team and they can put out an offering and they can take some risks in design and they're, they don't have to sell millions of units to be successful. And there's lots of examples of that. Uh, you know, but I'll give you one example that is something that, um, that Sumo had a, a good hand in. There's a little company in Nova Scotia called Max Inferno. And to meet them, there's nothing Max and Inferno about them. Um, they're uh, they're uh, partners. Uh, they're a couple. And they, they made a game called A Little to the Left. And A Little to the Left is basically, if you're a little, just even a little OCD or you like straightening stuff up and you like tidying things, this is your game. And uh, it's not expensive. It's uh, basically you open the game up. It's like, okay, there's your junk drawer. Tidy it up. You're like, okay, and you're moving stuff around, putting the forks where the forks have to go, and you're putting the corkscrew over there. And it's really all it is. There's different scenarios of cleaning up mess. And um, that game came out, and they expected it to do this, and it did this much in sales because people went, hold on a minute, this is a great game. And Nintendo picked it up and started talking about it, and now there's additional content available. And that was just basically... Uh, two partners that decided they wanted to make something that was near and dear to their heart. I mean, she was, I think she was, uh, um, uh, she worked in art somehow. I don't know the full story. Uh, I've met them a couple of times and I'm going to botch this up. But one was an engineer and one was doing art. And the two of them just made this amazing product. And, you know, there's, there's other, those, those other games like that right now. I'm playing a game called Dave the Diver. Um, and Dave the Diver is kind of a 2D game where you're a diver and you're going underwater and you're, catching fish and spearing things and finding treasure along the way. And there's a story behind it and there's a sushi restaurant. So when you're not diving, you got to go back to the sushi restaurant. Then you become all diner dashy and um, it's nuts. And yeah, it's a great game and it's a small team that made it. And I think it did a million units in its first week. And uh, I love those stories. And even, even games like um, Stardew Valley, like Stardew Valley has been around for a really long time. Stardew Valley is just really one guy made that game and is to the test of time because it's a charming escape for people. And those are, those are actually the pioneers um, that are, that are changing the face. Cause then someone else is going to go, Oh, I'm going to make Stardew Valley in 4k using unreal five. And you know, well, you're going to lose all the charm, but you know, if it, if it turns out that they can make some great, great experiences. Awesome. So I think that that's what's happening. Um, the guys in the middle of the ones that are, that are, I think getting the squeeze because, they're right at that challenging position of I've got to sell this many use to break even, but I got to get a lot of people to make this game. So it, those are the really, uh, the, the studios that I really find get challenged. Where do you think, like, obviously I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't say too much about the games that you're about to bring up, but in respect to your viewpoint as to, you know, you've, you've aligned with Sumo and then subsequently Tencent, like what type of game or experience I would say are you guys looking to deliver upon and I guess like why so Timber along with the kind of studio that we want to be and strive to continue to be uh, 
we try to put that into our products, our games. So we're making two products right now. One is, you know, I, I think I can say it's a, you know, it's kind of like a AAA action adventure style game. Um, and it's PC and console. A lot of people go, oh, you mobile studios? Like, nope, uh, we're PC and console. Um, and the other game that we're making um, is probably closer along the line of more of a simulation style game. And, you know, when I say simulation, I'm ta- not talking like, you know, you know, a railroad simulator or anything like that. Because, you know, if you look up simulation, it's everything from a 4K spacefaring game to The Sims to a transportation tycoon to just about anything. So it's pretty wide berth. And uh, so we focused on that because we want to make the kind of games that kind of speak to the people that we are at Timber. Timber will never make a super hyper-violent horror game because that's not the expertise we brought in. Um, That's not the kind of game we wanted to make. There's lots of those games. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those games have, I think, a a decent size of the market, but a limited size of the market. So um, there's going to be these niches. And... I think it's really, really difficult for, for studios to have lightning strike more than once. You know, it's hard for, you know, you get a studio that comes out and makes a game and if it's a success, everyone wants another one like that. And then you yeah. get studios that, you know, are really good at making X and they try and do Y and sometimes they just get way out over their skis and they can't bring it back in. So um, those are the style of products that we're making. I'm interested as well to dive in because um, looking at, Looking at the landscape at the moment, we, we look at like Druckmann talking about building out a, a writer's team to help support what is, you know, what The Last of Us 3 may be. And there's talking of like f- five new characters, new protagonists to go into yep. that game. Um, yep. It's it's a safer play, bearing in mind on the budgets that we play with mm-hmm. today to deliver sequels and further, further on from that. But then... What the game is really like, you know, I've 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 written my take on this. Like, I, I think that that game should be coming to an end, and it should be done in such a way that we tell the story that the gamers want to see. And the story, in in my opinion, should be like a a, a crucial moment for for Ellie, and it should be an ability to connect with people on an emotion on an emotional level so before i kind of delve into what i know and love which is the emotional storytelling piece i want to kind of gauge your viewpoint on like the the lack of risk being taken by some of the behemoths in respect to franchise because front you know we look at fifa well no longer fifa but like efc like you look at that, it's it's essentially just a continuation of FIFA. You look at COD, you look at, you know, all these various different iterations of franchise. It's a safe play, but is it the right play? Right. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on things like that. You know, there have been games that, games that came out that if, if simply described to me, I would have said, you're crazy, it's never going to work, right? So remember Plants vs. Zombies? Yeah, yeah. Zombies is a nice, fun little mobile game, and it was basically tower defense. And then EA decided to make an actual shooter out of it. And I'm like, no one's going to play that. That's a terrible idea. It's a great idea. It did really, really well. Um, and they were able to take a beloved franchise and reimagine it. And that's what I really love when, when franchises are reimagined and reapproached. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, one of the producers on our team, and she and I were talking about Star Wars. And her first Star Wars really was The Mandalorian. 
never really saw the the original trilogy and i'm like what are you crazy like what do you mean you haven't seen the original trilogy well guess what lots of people haven't seen the original trilogy and they don't care and they don't need to and that's one thing that's really cool because i think the star wars franchise is an excellent example of you know what we did the luke skywalker we did the darth vader thing we did princess leia that's all happened now now we're going to pivot over to something else so that's still a really beloved storyline but Let's talk about stuff that happened before, after, and somewhere in between. And so that's why you start seeing some of these, you know, like the Mandalorian comes out and, and that's this show Andor. I think Andor is actually the best of all the star Wars spinoffs that, that came out. I think that Andor was fantastic. Um, and you know, if you see rogue one, you know, what's going to happen to the people in Andor, but still it's an engaging story. And now um, Ahsoka is coming out and that's going to be another exciting take on on the franchise and i think that's when you have something and you talked about last of us what are the other stories because there's more than ellie like it's a whole world of opera you know like ellie was doing her thing in last of us world well guess where somewhere else you know bob was doing what bob was doing in, in last of us world are there stories and opportunities there and i think that's what i get excited about is when people start imagining where the story can be told in a different way from a different perspective um you know, there's a, my favorite show probably in years that I just finished season, series, season two was the bear. Oh, the bear was incredible. So good. And the thing that I loved about this second season, I'm not giving anything away is that almost each episode is a story focused on a different individual. Cool. And, you know, we got to know cousin in a completely different way than I had even imagined. And it was just, it was just so great. And I think that's a story that I want to learn more and I love to watch. And so I think there are way better stories to be told. Um, companies just have to find that courage to do so. And I think the way that you do that is you have your load bearing wall, you have your other, your work for hire game, or you have your tried and true title that you know is going to generate X amount of money. And then the money that you make from that title reinvest some of that new stuff to cover the cost of really taking some risks because that's where the that's where the games just kind of pop off um, and those games that that are risky uh that are not exactly what you expect they're the ones that people are going to lean in on going oh my god i love this game i can't wait to play more hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, definitely. We saw that as well, like from a... Um, EA stunts. We saw it with, remember Hazel Light when they brought out things like It Takes Two. Like that was such an amazing yeah. game. But that's a f- perfect example of you know give you low bar- bearing walls in in FIFA and then pivot yep. back and allow these guys opportunity to tell yeah. a unique story. FIFA really carries the day. Like FIFA generates so much money that because it's such a massive game that that helps power up some of the other titles. Um, yeah that are waiting in the wings and I get, that's what I get excited about. I get excited about these little titles on the side, you know, and they don't always work. Sometimes you get super excited about something and it comes out and you're like, wham, wham, but then, you know, you're super excited about something and, um, it just, you know, you hate it. Like the example I give, I give this example to everybody. So the movie Prometheus, <laughs> I wanted the movie Prometheus to be the greatest movie of all time. And I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, it's about alien. It's all about the origins. Oh, it's going to be so cool because you saw the clips starting up, you know, we've seen a signal and they show the cave drawings and stuff and the anticipation builds. And I was so excited about the movie. And then halfway through the movie, I went, ah, is, it, is that is, is, is it just doing this now? And, and I was super disappointed. And so, I, 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 you know, I say it all the time. I said, don't Prometheus this uh, at work because um, I don't want to get overhyped on something. And we've seen games get overhyped a lot and then it comes out and it just doesn't happen. And that's a shame. What's been some of the games that have blown your mind in respect to things that you've played or stories that have really captivated you? That's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously I was waiting for Diablo and Diablo was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, the depth of the story. But then when you start walking around, just the attention to detail, it's just like mm-hmm. if you really take a good long, lean in and look at that and going, wow, this is really incredible. Um, after I got over all of the bugs and all the weirdness of cyberpunk, um, <laughs> there is an insane world in there. And, you know, my favorite movie, because, you know, I'm that guy that's that old. My favorite movie is Blade Runner. And yeah, yeah, so good. I feel like I get to play a little Blade Runner when I was playing Cyberpunk. Um, you know, so so those are fun. Um, I've been talking about Dave the Diver, uh, which is that, that 2D diving fishing game, which is like a silly little game, but it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the Switch as well has allowed me to, you know, buy some games, just kind of flop around and lie in bed and play games. And um, they're, they're, uh, there's some really, there's Graveyard Keeper, I don't know if you ever played Graveyard Keeper, but it's it's kind of like Stardew Valley, except you're running a graveyard, and uh, <laughs> it's great and it's really fun. And it's you know it's one of those things that they went, okay, let's make Stardew Valley, but not Stardew Valley, and um, they were able to make a game that was similar but but quite different. I am excited about what I see coming out um, that is going to challenge The Sims, um, you know, Paralives in Montreal. 
Um, the, you know, uh, Alex has been doing some great work out there. Um, it's a passion project for him. He's kept his team really small and tight listening to the community. He's got something really good. Um, there is, um, uh, another one coming out of paradox. Um, and I've, I've already forgotten the name, but, um, it's, it's, uh, it's headed up by some people that years ago worked at Maxis. So there's some people going, yeah, let's, let's, let's give the Sims a run for their money. Sims is an incredible, amazing, it's the name brand. It's the one, it's the Coca-Cola of this game. Um, but doesn't mean there's not room for other people to make some stuff that can scratch the itch that maybe The Sims isn't delivering. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, uh, or stuff like that. I was at, um, when I was at GDC, I was listening to people talking about, um, you know, competition to The Sims. And I, and I think it's it's refreshing. I think competition only pushes us forward and it's, it's, it's good for the industry, it's good for the players, and it's ultimately good in the grand scheme of everything you yeah. kind of need that competition to keep you keep you on your toes and i'm interested to see how games evolve i'm also a real big fan of some of the cross-pollination of content that we see at the moment you know like we've just recently seen yeah. um, mario just absolutely killing it in the cinemas and we've subsequently seen things yeah. that, that was a great movie. i loved that movie and i loved it for the reasons a great movie. i loved it for the reasons that they they kind of tip their cap to players of old so it like pulled i watched it with my with my son right and he's 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 young and he, he was watching it and you know he's blown away by the mushroom kingdom for the first time and i'm looking at it going oh my god they've used that that's taken from the game if you go like the pizzeria there's a um there's, there's loads yeah. of reference points to old um nez titles and oh it's fantastic but equally i look at things like arcane i just teared it up on Netflix yeah. not so long ago, and I've I've talked about The Last of Us earlier, but that third yeah. episode of the HBO C- series was the best bit of TV I've seen in a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, wasn't it great? Oh my god, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, just came to me the game that's uh, going after the Sims is Life by You. Yeah, that's the one um, they were talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's actually I met uh, I met the the CEO um, of of Paradox when I was at uh, GDC super cool guy like a really cool guy he's like he's like he's like what you really want a european head of a company to be like he's very james bondish is like you know he's like oh i live between stockholm and spain but i'm here in in in, in gdc slumming it before i go off to my boat um super cool guy loves games uh and very uh you know very accommodating uh very gracious about the work that the sims has done and 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 you know like yeah there's room for more than one sims mm-hmm. uh, of course there is and uh, so I like what you said. Like, there's all these different stories, different ways of doing it, different takes on things. And I think that's what's going to fuel the growth of the companies, not the same old, same old. And talking about stories, what's your view on, like, the whole evolution of narrative, really, in, in a wider sense, in respect to deep emotional storytelling and also the advancement of technology that is allowing us to advance industry at a whole new pace and provides loads of opportunity um i think the stories that are being told are tackling subjects that no one tackled before um everything from from you know gender from sexual preference to religion to persecution all these different stories that are out there i think games are starting to feel more comfortable hey we can tell the story now because you know 
big surprise. Not every game has to have alien invasion and, you know, running around, you know, mowing down millions of aliens with your guns or other people for that matter um, in, in games, in wargaming and whatnot. Um, those games are great. There's lots of fun to be had with those games, but not everyone wants those kind of games. So let's have some games that can tell a story that make a deep impact on people. So I think that what's happening is there's this kind of like freedom and a forgiveness to tell the story that you want to tell. And if you build it, they will come. There is a whole bunch of people out there that have been waiting for things. Um, I think there's a real push on accessibility, mm-hmm. not just accessibility in, um, in how, you know, making it easier for people to play the game, but even accessibility in how the game is made, you know, um, uh, there's, I remember having a conversation with somebody, uh, and, uh, I'll, I won't say where, and we we're talking about some accessibility features and talking about things like using the dyslexic font as an option. Um, dyslexic font being, you know, a, a technology that I'm going to totally describe wrong, but it, it makes it, it makes it more easy. I believe for someone that suffers from certain forms of dyslexia to make the words, uh, fit better for them mm. to, to, to crack, uh, to grok on. And I remember having this conversation with someone and they said, well, why would we do that? How many dyslexic play our game? I'm like, well, I don't know, but you know, uh, how many, how many women with long hair play that game? Does it really matter? Yeah. Right? Like if, if you can, if you can put the feature in the game and it doesn't destroy your entire budget to do so, why wouldn't you do that? Because you may just find you've made a gamer out of a non-gamer because then they never felt like they could play the game because they couldn't read what was going on in the text. They couldn't understand what was happening. So maybe if you open up a little bit wider to give people an option to use that accessibility, you'll find that you'll get even more people enjoying your game and maybe turning people that have never felt that they could play a game into a lifelong gamer because of that small step that you took. And so it's really, I think gaming has always been focused on a certain stereotype, Mm. right? It's like, you know, what do you make? I make video games. Oh yeah, my son, you know, he's, he's, he's really into Call of Duty and Fortnite. Okay, that's great. Um, but there's zillions of other games to be played, um, out there. It's a 50, 50 split between men and women that play games. It is, um, you know, different styles of products appeal to different people. Um, gamers are older than people think people think, oh, it's just a bunch of 18 year olds in their parents' basement. No, uh, right here, I'm a gamer and I've been doing this for 25 years and I have a normal life, you know, I have a wife and kids and, you know, um, my daughters aren't gamers. (laughs) That's okay. They're doing other cool stuff. And I think it's, understanding that there are entire groups of people that are gamers and the you may be building the experience they've been waiting for all their life and maybe you should take a look at that yeah definitely that's that's a crux of a great game it's 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 an experience and you know we can move people from an emotive sense through captivating storylines or we can kind of what i'm seeing a lot of it at the moment there's there's an awful lot of harkering back to nostalgic moments of old and realizing that the player community is is getting older but then equally getting wider in respect to the 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 lens that we can look upon like the industry is is thriving at the moment but then equally it's the fact that the community is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger we look at things like competitive gaming and and how that opens up a lens to a whole new opportunity of engagement and then we look to the fact that you know, hmm. some of the some of the stories and movies that influenced us, like I'm 40, right? So when you mentioned Blade Runner and I, I picked up also on your well, well-placed well Field of Dreams reference, um, like the fact that 
Hmm. Movies, uh, yeah, historically movies and music have probably been that cultural force, but I'd just love to get your take on on games being that cultural force as well. Yeah, there's there's games that tell stories and then there's games that people create their own stories, right? There's the narrative games that make you think a little bit longer and more deeper about something. And the beautiful thing about playing a game with a really deep story if you weren't sure what was happening, you can go back and play it again. You can have a think on that instead of just rewinding the movie and trying to say, what are they saying? What do they mean? Who is that? Is that the uncle? Did, did the uncle kill that person? Like going back and trying to figure that out. Games immerse you into it and lets you kind of like view it from many different uh, different angles. But then it's, I think what's exciting is the stories that come out of people um, bonding together over a game, mm-hmm. right? Um, whether they're playing... You know whether they're playing Fortnite together because Fortnite is funny. I was talking to some uh, some uh, some relatives about Fortnite, and I said Fortnite is actually, in my opinion, Fortnite has nothing to do with being the last survivor and running around and shooting. It has everything to do about community and hanging out and laughing and having fun and being silly. I said that's really what I think the magic of Fortnite was, and. You know, I, you know, I think they kind of semi stumbled on, Hey, we've got something here. And they said, let's pivot in this direction. And and the rest they say is history. So it's those games that bring people together, like rocket league, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, let's play some rocket league. And, and, you know, there's a game that's the test of time. Uh, It's been around for a long time and people have just as much fun playing it now as they do um, when it first came out. So there's the stories that you follow along uh, in the game. There's the stories that you can shape during the game where you're controlling the narrative. You know, we talked about the Sims and stuff like that. You can do that. And then there's the stories that come out of the experience you had with friends in a game. One of my, one of my favorite games of all time is an old dog 2d game called worms. Um, and worms, the amount of fun we had playing worms. So when I was at radical entertainment, um, we were in a position where we were making a game, the contract got canceled. So we were between projects and we had literally nothing to do for a couple of weeks while we had to get the new game spooled up. We played worms like all day while we were in between contracts and there's nothing funnier than, and we played it on a LAN, like, you know, for those of you kids that don't know what LAN is, it was like, you know, it's a local area network playing together at the company and we'd be playing worms with about five or six people. And the, the joy that you would have by having an exploding sheep and somehow managing to fly your sheep and get that impossible angle to nail the person <laughs> on the other end of the map. And because it was a land, there was like a two second delay and you'd blow them up and you'd be laughing and then you'd wait two seconds. And you'd, ah! you hear someone yell across the room <laughs> and it was those hilarious moments. Like it's alone together. Um, and, uh, and those are the most fun. It's super fun to do those things. What other games? Um, cause before I want to delve into community, cause I think that's a, that's a key part of the industry, um, both now and the future, but it, uh, I'm a gamer at heart. So I want to delve into the nostalgic games, like games that had a real impact on you and why. Um, 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 um. let me think some of the nostalgic, like there's been games that. There's been games that I wish that could come out and be reborn again. And then, and then sometimes I think, ah, I don't know if I love it as much anymore. So like, there's a couple of nostalgic games, obviously that, uh, that, that I still have time for SSX was my favorite game. SSX was like nothing else. There was never anything like it before. There wasn't anything. It's like, it's a snowboarding game, but it really wasn't a snowboarding game. I just, you know, Steve Rexhafner, who is, you know, with the brainchild behind that game years ago, uh, we're still good friends. 
And um, uh, I caught up with Steve a while back and I said, you know, people never really understood. SSX was never about snowboarding, really. It was about, it was like a nightclub on a 45 yeah, music, degree angle man. in the snow. That's what it was. The music was banging and, you know, the colors were crazy and the tricks were ridiculous. And it was just like so immersive. And so, you know, SSX was right up there. I just spent millions of hours playing that. Um, civilization. I have lost lifetimes in civilization. <laughs> um, you know, getting in there thinking, okay, I'm going to play as this team. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to build my, build my little um, uh, empire. Um, really, really loved civilization. Um, all the micro pro stuff was so, so cool. Um, you know, playing, um, you know, old system shock and stuff like way back when it was like, you know, we were playing a really scary creeper game. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff came back and, and found it, uh, found itself reborn to a certain extent in games like dead space, mm. you know, taking tried and true things. And that's what I think. That's what I think is the really interesting thing is that, you know, how many seasons has Law & Order been on, right? Law & Order is like, I don't know, what, it's been on for 30 years in different shapes and everyone still watches it. Like my wife would watch it. We would subscribe to a Law & Order channel if it was on <laughs> uh, in Canada. And my wife would watch that every day. But things, some things never go to style. You know, catching the bad guy, solving the crime, it's always going to be around. Even in show, today's shows, there's lots of those around. Gaming, I think, is a similar situation where there's always going to be you know, science fiction shooters, but how you're going to be able to tell the story in a different way mm. um, and take a completely different angle on things. Um, Bioshock was one of the, uh, Bioshock is one of my favorite games. Amazing. Because Bioshock scratched all the itches. It was um, amazing setting, underwater, art deco, a complete alternate environment, but a still really detailed and engaging and really scary experience um you know really messed up at times and it was like it was like uh, having a laugh at you know the vanity that people have and yet having this crazy dystopian universe underwater it was just like amazing um you know i think if i heard this right i think there's a bioshock movie in the works yeah, I think so. um which i will be going yeah, to, go to so. um, of course there's going to be more bioshocks i felt like you know when they went into the sky kind of lost it for me. I wanted to go back underwater because I think that's what it was all about. Mm. So there's just a couple of games that I, that I just think have been just so incredible um, and have really kind of like changed the landscape um, in, you know, games. Of course, all the FIFA stuff. I mean, you know, FIFA and Madden and all and everything in between. Incredible sports experiences. Just like so, so, so detailed, but still you can pick it up and play with two buttons. If you need yeah, it. definitely. That's great too. I remember the days of um, not too long ago, things like... Half-Life or when I landed on Fallout for the first time or, you know, yep. I loved also SSX. That was a big game in my house. And likewise to probably Tony Hawk's for the same sort of reasons. Like it was the music that made that game. Yep. And um, moving on, like I remember when Halo first came out, I was blown away by that. Just thought it was an yep. incredible title. Um, and what, yeah, just games have just evolved and just got me. Like I would say that The Last of Us is my Breaking Bad. Like uh, it's... It's mm. something that I just absolutely love. I think the the storyline is immense. Um, but then equally, yeah, like anything that came out of Bioware I was on. I remember playing Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. Phenomenal game. Yep. Um, and yeah, just like for me, games of, you know, in the same way of in the 80s where things like D&D were bringing people together, um, you've got the fact that, games when we grew up there's 
yeah, like remember spending many, many hour playing um on those twenty four hour circuits of Gran Turismo, for example, <laughs> just taking way yep. too long. But still, the fact that we're just playing with mates and games are just always present. That's why I, I do think that in a in a way that movies shaped us, games have shaped us as well in respect to our appreciation for the craft. And I think that the the true craft yep. is providing experiences that are resonant on a on a multitude of different levels. And but that community oh. piece that that community piece is is now central like any any game worth its worth its salt it's that live service that they're delivering after it's it's the fact that how do you how do you make sure that a community are continually engaged within a within a game um, once it's launched to avoid not only that dip but equally to right. provide people that continued experience like what's your view on the involvement of community within the games industry at this point in time So there's two sides to the community, right? There's community management that works at the company and there's community itself. The community itself is often kind of uh, overshadowed and outshone by the dark side. You know, people that just love to get on there and just be jerks um, and uh, for the sake of being jerks. And, um, you know, 99.9% of the time, people would never say or do any of the things that they say or do online in front in your face because, you know, that's just the, the, the protection of being an anonymous person behind a screen that it gives you. But I think community, the good part of community they actually come up with better ideas often than the people that make the games because they don't have a deadline. They don't have a quota to hit. They don't have to hit a certain, you know, um, earnings ratio in order to be successful. They could say, I can spend my time thinking about what I think would be awesome in this game because I don't have to worry about how it's going to be made. I could just come up with the idea and tell the publisher that a, they should do this and be they're crazy if they don't. Um, you know, I think the, the people who play the games, um, they really like they're spending money on the product and they're spending a lot of time in the product. I find that often they know equal to or more than the people that made the yeah. game, um, you know, because they're so passionate about it. And, you know, I'll give you an example. We did a poll one time when I was at Maxis and we were talking about what is the next downloadable pack we're going to make. It was like, a, it was like a, a stuff pack. It was a small pack, the most affordable ones. And we did a poll and the poll came back from the public and I'm like looking at the poll and I'm like, Really? This is crazy. Really? We're going to make this? Because the thing that they wanted was laundry stuff. And like basically in the pack, you got washing machines, different stackable full uh, towels and clothes, clotheslines, piles of laundry. You could do your laundry and you could hang your laundry. And I'm like, laundry sucks. Why would anybody want to do that in a game? And they all did. And we joked about it. Uh, because I said, oh my God, I hate this. I don't think, I think it's going to be terrible. And I was so wrong. It was the number one selling downloadable thing that we had ever made at the time. And it goes to show the public knows what they're, they're doing. They know what they want and they will tell you. And if you listen to them, which is so key, if you really listen to them, you'll get it right. Yeah. From, from a listening piece, how do we make sure that the industry as a whole is is listening to its players because there is often within industry that kind of wariness of opening your doors too much to kind of re reveal what you're working on but then equally yeah, yeah like I, i'm a big fan of of transparency and collaboration and i think that you know if we are open to players like one of the things i really liked about ea is the fact that 
in the very early days we used to bring players in to during like periods of sandbox just to kind of give them an, a, a viewpoint get that touch point and get the opportunity to get feedback directly from the players about stuff we're, we're creating and why and that's a good thing because when you make players part of the experience then you are building that level of trust and engagement to make to allow them to be you know part of the long long route and the long road that you take that game game on and generally you don't lose people that way when you actually get them involved but then yeah I'm a bit I don't know I just I want to kind of get your viewpoint as to why still in some cases the industry is quite hesitant to open up its doors to what it's working on and I guess to take that constructive feedback I think sometimes they don't want to I think the games industry sometimes thinks that, oh, if we let everyone know what we're making and what's coming, then someone else is going to beat us to the market and and, and do a better job. That's kind of a constant fear, right? Mm-hmm. We used to joke about it, you know. You know, Maxis has already talked about the next iteration of the Sims that's coming, right? And it's really funny. Like I was saying to someone when I was still there, I said, "Oh my God! Like seriously, do people not think we're making another one?" It's like it's like, hey, guess what? we might make another Sims. And it's like, oh my God, another Sims? Are you crazy? He's like, oh my God, the first four were terrible. They didn't sell at all. Like, of course there's another one coming. Um, kind of thing. It's, um, I think sometimes people are afraid of just, you know, giving out the trade secret too early. But I think that, you know, there's, unless you've got something so incredibly unique and different, um, everything's been done. Mm. Like there's, like what hasn't been done? There's been like, you go to Gamescom, guess what the biggest lineup at Gamescom is going to be every single year? Farm simulator. Europeans love their farm simulators. And the when I last time I was at Gamescom, the biggest lineup was to get into the latest farm simulator. And I'm like, okay, this must be a really different one this time. Nope, just another farm simulator. Driving stuff around, harvesting things. It's the same thing. I was like, okay. But, you know, it's when you listen to people like, well, what about different kinds of farming? Right. That would be the key. Like for me, if I was a part of that journey and like, you know, well, what about some other kinds of farming? Is there some different styles of farming that we could, that we could like lean in on and then expand to? Let's ask the community what they want and the community will tell you what they want. Um, you know, if you're talking about um, how, um, how stories have actually talked, you talked about stories before, how stories have driven um, so many games forward. Um, look at Netflix and the F1 series mm. like netflix has an entire f1 series and it's all about the stories and the drama behind f1 and I'm like what goes on behind the scenes at f1 is is just as interesting as the sport itself is there a way that you can marry you know an, uh, an f1 game with the drama behind it that you know like that and that would be one of those things that would take 10 years to make and appeal you know only some people would like it and some people would hate it and say you're getting away from the core of the game sure okay but you know it's an extreme example of are there stories you can tell and ways that you can lean in on that, that maybe haven't been told before um, that, that people can get really excited about? Um, you know, it's almost like a role-playing game. when you play. If you play Dungeons & Dragons, some people just want to be the healer. They just want to sit back and heal. That's all they do. Sit back and heal. Watch all the mayhem go on. Heal, heal, heal. Some people have to be the, you know, Leroy Jenkins. They're going to run in and try and kill everything. Um, <laughs> that's their style of game. Everyone gets to play to the role, right? But some people don't want to, and some people just want to watch. Um, and that's okay too. And so giving people um, the ability to say, hey, 
I'd like a mode that allows me to do this, or I'd like to view it from this angle, or I'd like to play the game in this way. Um, and the research will tell you part of it, but the customers will tell you whether, whether it's good or not. Um, I have a friend of mine that works at Relic, and they made a just recently, you know, they recently made a Company of Heroes game. And he, he was telling me, oh my God, the community is so hardcore with like, you know, that Italian tank should not fire at that rate. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? Oh my God, relax. But it's there, mm-hmm. right? So um, listen, listen with a grain of salt, but also be open to uh, the most unconventional idea ever because it may just give you exactly um, the best game feature you've ever made. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess like, one of the last couple of questions I want to ask you is, is around the future in respect to what your belief is for the industry as we evolve into, you know, another wave of console, another wave of tech innovation, and I guess like another wave of players as well. Like what do you believe the future may hold for the industry and why? Um. I think the consoles are going to go on for quite a while. Everyone goes, there's the last console yeah, we're no, going to make. Crazy, yeah. I don't believe that. I think that's going to go on for quite a while. I actually think one of the biggest things that's going to change is AI. And every, AI is such an easy buzzword with chat GPT and stuff. But I think AI is going to be really amazing because I think what it's going to do is the game is going to adapt at how you play even better than before. Yeah. It's going to learn from you. It's going to engage with you. You know, the AI the AI systems that are put into characters. I mean, you can already have like a virtual friend on your phone um, and that's like a limited experience. But when you get these big guys like the console makers and Microsoft and, and whatnot putting things into their games, the AI in the game is going to be, wow, I have this friend I got to check in on a check on check in on in the game. You know, we talk about the Sims and all these other products. When the AI starts really flexing into those roles, you're going to see little lives of their own happening in front of your eyes. And I think, so I think that's really, I mean, it's it's such an easy way to say, oh, it's AI. It's such an easy way to go. But I really think that's the thing that's going to, um, change gaming experiences because you know when you play a game and you know there's wave after wave after wave of monsters and you start figuring out the pattern okay wave 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 and this guy's going to come out here and go kill that guy and then the monster's going to pop out of yeah, the barrel like you know games, what but when ai really takes over there is no barrel and the barrel's behind you and the barrel is actually the monster <laughs> it's not anything you thought it was i think that's going to be the um um, I think that's going to be the real change. And I think that the, the, in terms of um, the future, I think that I think gaming is going to widen even more. It's going to start giving people different experiences that are going to be bespoke for them. And I think as, as engines, like, you know, with the Unreal Engine and other engines, as they get more um, wide in, in terms of the kind of experiences they can allow you to program into it, you're going to start seeing way more bespoke games that are going to appeal to certain niches of people. Um, that are that don't have to sell 10 million units to be successful they can sell you know 50,000 units to still cut a profit because you know a smaller team can make it you know maybe ai can help them with that journey as well um so i think that's really going to be the push more bespoke things for a wider market um accessibility um the ai that's going to come in it's coming whether you like it or not right it's like saying well i don't like the metric system well well, it's here so um it's not going anywhere so it's not going so um, I think that's really what the future is going to be. Yeah, definitely. And it's just intriguing because obviously when I was at EA, I remember spending some time in track, tw- track 20 and like when Marcus 
Like, mm. so he's, he, he's left there to kind of set up his own thing. And yeah. like, I'm excited for, for what they're developing because they're kind of leaning d- deep into AI. And, and you also look at it from simplistic sides in respect to the non-playable characters, how we can kind of evolve them as well as the environment that, that we play within, that it becomes more, more of a live immersive experience again. Um, so yeah, like, I'm with you on AI. I just think it, it opens up the possibilities of of play to a whole new level of depth that we we're not at this point in time. We haven't seen because it's not been delivered. But yeah, like those experiences are coming, and yeah, it's f- from a gaming perspective. I, I think it'll add a greater layer of depth to the player's experience, and and yeah, like maybe we'll start pivoting away from the quantity of titles being released on such regular quarterly uh, deliverables but then equally i think we might harker back to quality and and you know we'll play for longer rather than just like a campaign that historically you could just yeah. clock out this this could go on and on and it becomes like a, a live experience and yeah I'm, I'm excited i just think that we're just yeah. like we're at the at the precipice of some precipice of something really impressive and yeah, it's it's good times ahead yeah you know, and it's not just player characters. It could be anything from like the environment changes due to global warming or there's a storm system coming in and the storm system can actually be like a real storm yeah, yeah. system and it doesn't have to be canned. It could be completely, it could be completely generated. And um, those are the things that I think are going to make people go, wow, I did not expect the flood <laughs> in the middle of the game, right? You know. That's those are the moments that you're gonna that I think are gonna really make people sit up. They're playing a you know they're playing a game or something like a thunderstorm or something, and then a dam breaks or something goes on, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with this game you're playing, and you're waist deep in water. Didn't see that coming, but it doesn't happen for everybody. And so someone's posting, "Oh my god, I got caught in the flood!" It's like flood. I didn't get a flood, and that's what's going to be interesting. The games are going to start uh, uh, really branching out, being different experiences for everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Man, I could talk to you all day. It's been an absolute pleasure. Before I close out, I just wanted to touch upon two things. So the first thing, what got us to speaking was Joe's Impact 100. So I just want to kind of give you an opportunity to talk about the reason behind that and I guess also the the wholesomeness of of that content. And then secondly, Mm. is any key thoughts and takeaways that you'd like to leave with our audience? Sure. So Joe's Impact 100 was something that I, I remember I was sitting in my office and I was going through LinkedIn and it was like doom and gloom. This is shutting down and um, and so-and-so is looking for a job and, you know, uh, drama at this studio and all the stuff that had been going on of sexual harassment and what have you at other studios. Now thinking, God, this just sucks. And I thought, well, I'm trying to build a studio here. So maybe I'm going to take a take a couple of moments out and kind of start highlighting some people that I wanted to thank publicly for helping me on my way. And initially I thought, I'm going to do 20 people. And I thought, oh, God. I started counting up and I was already at 35. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do 50. And then I kept on counting. I was like, oh, my God. I could easily do 100 people that have impacted my life in a positive way in my career and what I've learned from them. And so I thought, I'm going to start writing about them. And so um, the first person I wrote about was CT, Chris Taylor. And Chris Taylor was... Um, an incredible mentor for me when I first got to EA. He was in a band, a Canadian band that was really successful in Canada. Um, and uh, uh, he taught me so much about uh, when I was, I, I was writing content for FIFA for John Motson. I was trying to figure out what, what would John Motson say? So I was studying the words that he said and 
he said, no, don't do it this way. Do it this way. And he said, you know, look, listen to football broadcasts and let's start doing the play-by-play in a completely different way. And he completely, you know, I don't want to get long-winded about that, but he completely changed my entire perception about being creative in this, in, in, in the world using um, audio. And I thought, okay. So I wrote about that and I got a lot of positive feedback. It's like, oh my God, CT taught me so, so much too. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do another one and another one. And then it became Joe's Impact 100. And I think I'm about 66 people in now. And I do it because I think that there's a lot of great stories to tell about people that are in, the, in this industry that won't get to talk about it themselves, nor would they ever talk about themselves. So I want to shine a light on them because, you know, hundreds of people have helped me get to where I am. And I think it's really important to direct that spotlight over to people to say, this is someone that I worked with and I learned from. And I think it's really important. And I think it, it's been um, almost therapeutic for me to just really take a deep breath and reflect on all the people I've been lucky enough to work with. And I've had so many people call me up or not call me up, but like email me what and said, would you be okay if I did my own version of this? I'm like, yes, of course. I don't have a patent on this. Go for it. And um, the amount of people that have reached out to me that I've written about that I haven't talked to in years, they went, oh my God, I had no idea that I had any impact on you whatsoever. And I said, not only do you have impact on me, you had impact on other people and you may not have known it. So I think it's important to tell you. Um, you know, I had, any, I had a note on LinkedIn from a colleague from years ago. And she said, you know what? I wanted to just send you a note because she's now created her own successful business. And she said, I wanted to send you a note about something you did for me like you know, 12, 15 years ago or something. I'm like, well, what did I do for you? And she said, you and I were sitting in Starbucks and I was stressing out about a meeting that I had to have with some executives of the company that we worked together at. And she said, I was getting really nervous and scared and, and you rehearsed it with me and you walked me through it. And she said, you, you told me exactly how to think and what to do. And you told me that it didn't matter about X and Y and Z, only this one thing matters. And she said, I went out, she goes in that, you know, we had that coffee and I went upstairs an hour later and I slayed the meeting and I just crushed it and I came downstairs and you weren't there. And, uh, and she said, I wanted to talk to you about it. And she said, I still tell people to this day about the day that you sat down with me in Starbucks and, and calmed me down and got me on track for the meeting I had to give. And I was like, what? I remember, like, I remember just having coffee with this person, not realizing that I actually made a really significant impact not only on that day, but in a very teeny weeny way, I helped inspire her to go off and do her own company yeah. because of some of the stuff that she thought, I can do this. Now, again, I was like less than one, one billionth of a percent on that journey, but it was just a little thing that I did that impacted her. And when she told me that, it made me feel so good. Um, it's like, wow, that's great. Thank you. I really appreciate this. So I wanted to pay that forward as well. Um, I started doing Joe's Impact before that, but that was just another thing. Um, and then, you know, like last parting shots. Um, it can be daunting and terrifying and hard to get into the gaming industry in particular, or tech industry, but you know what? You've just got to be persistent. You've got to ask and ask and ask. And sometimes someone will say yes. Every single time I have ever asked anybody to meet with me or have a cup of coffee with me, um, and I explain why, they do it. I could call up just, you know, I could call up just about anybody in my industry that I think is a peer or even a higher person that I've admired and say, Hey, can I buy a cup of coffee or can I, can we grab a 20 minute zoom call? Um, here's why I want to talk to you every time they say yes. You know, 
a lot of time people just come up and they say, Hey, I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. What do you want to talk to me about? And they don't know what they want to talk to me about. Or they say, Hey, that's want to sell you some low cost engineering in India or whatever of a company, right? I'm not, I'm not going to take those calls. I don't want to take those calls. I'm not going to, but, um, just ask, you never know what's going to happen. Um, and it's an example I've told people before, and I'll just end it with this. Um, when I was working on the World Cup way back in 2006, we wanted to have an accurate map of the globe, the world. And we said, where are we going to get a globe that's accurate? Because I wanted in the World Cup to zoom in from outer space right into the country that was playing in World Cup. <laughs> and there's a hundred, hundreds of com- countries in World Cup that no one's ever heard of that can qualify. Um, and we used to joke, nobody knows where Liechtenstein is and nobody knows where Latvia is and all these different places. So, um, I said, I want to get a globe. So together with a business partner and then my art director, we said, what are we going to do? And we were joking around this and, oh yeah, we should call NASA. And we looked at each other and said, let's call NASA. (laughs) And we did. We got on the phone. We literally found the phone number for NASA and they answered the call and they said, we'd love to help. And I'm like, really? And they said, yeah, we, we're a nonprofit society. We will give you an accurate rendering of the world as it stands today. And we can give you some topographical information, what have you. Um, and I said, oh, my God, we've got to give you something. They, just give us a credit in the game. Say where you got the globe from. Amazing. You know, we sent them some T-shirts and games to thank them. But we called NASA. And they put me through to the Jet Propulsion Lab. And the moment that it was amazing, uh, and I'll end it here, was I'm on the phone. And I'm talking to the guy and I hear him cover up the phone and yell across the room in the jet propulsion lab saying, guys, shut up. I'm on the phone with EA Sports. And I'm like, that's amazing. I'm on the phone to NASA and they're more excited about talking to EA Sports. And we got it because we just said, why don't we give him a call? What the worst thing to do is say no. Just ask, ask questions, ask for that meeting. And I think that'll do you well. Yeah, man, definitely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for your time. It's been fun. Yeah, my pleasure. It was awesome. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made, or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.